Nothing like a really easy gospel lesson, is it? <laughs> this one is one that whenever it comes around, I think, why? Why is this even part of our lectionary? And it got me thinking about the way that we prepare to understand what goes on in the Bible. And I was thinking back to seminary, seminary where all priests go to learn how to read the Bible better and to learn how to do church in all of those special ways. And there is one way in which seminary functions that used to kind of bother me. And that was every time we read stuff, whether it's the Bible or it was old history, anytime we had a certain experience, we would go out and we'd do a thing, we would always be asked the question, where is God in this? Where is God in this? It was a question that really kind of bugged me for a long time, which I know in hindsight seems like a weird thing to tell you. But the idea, where is God in this, seemed like a question we were forcing it's like we would have a normal experience that really had nothing to do with sort of specific or explicit Christianity or the Bible or something like that. And we'd say, where is God in this? And I thought, can't we just have a nice experience? Do we really have to always ask that question? And I spent years just being frustrated with people seeming to like force God into every single moment. Now, I got it. God's everywhere. I understand. But it seemed like we were manufacturing this idea of God's presence in every single moment all the time. That is until after having done this for a number of years, I realized I started to see God in this as I would do things. I would read things that weren't explicitly Christian or faithful, and I would actually realize God's there. Or I would have an experience that wasn't explicitly Christian or faith-driven, and I would realize God is there. And I thought, oh, how clever. <laughs> they have really gotten into me this idea of how to see God in the world, how to see God in other people, how to see God in regular everyday experiences, how to see God even when things really aren't good. Where is God in this is a practice that can actually make us better disciples over time. In other words, we were prepared to go out in the world and have experiences and find God in those experiences. And preparation matters when you choose to follow Jesus. Preparation matters, and we've heard about preparation in many, many different ways. There was a very popular idea that came out in the book Outliers years and years ago, this 10,000 hours to become an expert. You're all familiar with this? Essentially, if you had a particular gift and you were good at something, to become excellent at that thing, you needed to spend about 10,000 hours practicing. Practicing over and over and over again. Now that, the specificity of 10,000 hours has been debunked over time, but the idea remains. If you actually want to get good at something, you do have to practice doing that thing. You can't simply assent intellectually to wanting to do something well. We know this, whether that's sports or arts or academics, like we've all had this experience where if you actually want to do something very well, you have to practice and practice again and practice again. And in a sense, that's actually what we're called into doing when we come to church, when we go to Bible study, when we say our prayers, when we go out and experience the world and perhaps even ask ourselves, where is God in this? preparing us to be the kind of people God made us to be, preparing us to see God out in the world in powerful ways that change us over time. 
That's necessary, especially when we get gospel lessons like the one we got today. Let's just take a moment and retell the story that we heard in our gospel lesson, because it really does not make much sense at all at first glance. So the king throws a banquet, and we know, if any of us have ever studied the Bible before, and Matthew's very clear right at the very beginning, this wedding banquet is really like an allegory of God's heavenly kingdom. This is very commonly understood. So the king throws a wedding banquet in honor of his son. He invites some people. They say, no thanks, we don't want to go. And so the king makes the banquet even better, and invites a second group of people, like, really, really, I want you to come. I'm going to make this party the best party you've ever been to. And the people still ignore the invitation, and they don't come. And so what does the king do? He does not get sad. He goes and destroys them all. (laughs) And so not only does he destroy all the people, he destroys the city, and then he sends out more servants to find people in the streets of what, I don't know, because he destroyed the city, but apparently there are some other people out there that he compels to come to the wedding banquet. Okay, so finally, this third group of people show up to the wedding banquet, and then you think maybe things will be normal? No, because as the king goes about the wedding banquet, he finds a guy who is not wearing a wedding robe. Well, no kidding. He was just pulled off the street to fill your house And so not only is this person not wearing your wedding robe, but the king binds him, throws him out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where's God in that? (laughs) Part of what we see in this story is Jesus trying to push on the leadership of the day. This story comes in a series of stories that we've been hearing over these last few weeks where Jesus is trying to turn the crystal of what it means to be part of God's world, what it means to be called by God to actually participate in the world in a particular way. Now, it's not hard for us to connect the dots between the king throwing a banquet for his son and God sending Jesus into the world. We got it. That's not so complicated. When we actually get to the point of the banquet itself and the guy's not wearing the robe, I think we can all wonder, what is Jesus really getting at? Now, all of us are here for some particular reason. Either you have chosen to be here because you are working on your own discipleship, or you are here because someone who controls your life brought you here because we're working on discipleship. This is good for both groups, so we're very glad that you're here. Part of this is an invitation to deepen discipleship. Discipleship is really our choice to follow Jesus because we understand in some level, no matter how shallow, that we were created by God who loves us, loves us. And we can be so unlovable sometimes, and yet God loves us anyway, and that's broadly compelling. God has given us a set of skills and gifts and to use in the world to help not only ourselves, but the people around us. And God wants us to use those gifts well. Now, that's kind of compelling. All of us at some point make a decision to actually express gratitude, to use our gifts well, and we're trying to practice that. But if we don't practice enough, What Jesus is really saying is we could kind of be like the people who show up to the wedding banquet without wearing a robe. Because, you see, Christianity is not about saying the right words. This is not magic. We don't just say words or think nice thoughts 
and poof, we are good Christians. We are not meant to just be nice to be good Christians. Christianity is not about being polite or even being well-liked. Christianity is much deeper and more profound than all of those shallow ways that the world may tell us. What we are doing today and what we are called to do between Sundays and each Sunday is to actually practice, to learn, to be formed as the kind of disciples God made us to be and the kind of disciples that on our best days we actually want to be. Right now, St. Michael is in a very big moment in its history. We are looking at a project, a future, that will reshape the way that we actually function as a community. And there are some ways in which we are moving forward over these next few years to create opportunities and environments for all of us to actually practice our discipleship more and more. I hope you have seen some of the plans that have been proposed. These plans would actually create space here on this campus that would allow us to be formed, molded in very specific ways. The first and principal way is in prayer and worship, like what we are doing right now. Second is actually in education, learning what God has done over time and what God continues to do in the world right now. And the third, is just being in community, being able to join together, to deepen our friendships, to actually share space together with people who can help us deepen our own discipleship. This kind of physical space shapes who we are. This kind of physical space will actually allow us to deepen our discipleship more and more effectively. Now, I have been preaching for these last few weeks about this idea, but not down here. And so I'm glad to be with you to actually unpack this idea principally. What we are looking to do is provide space for each of us to help one another. Now, my guess is you see people here each week and you like those people. They're smiley. They might give you a hug. You might talk for a few seconds. But then what happens beyond that moment? You see, we are not good on our own most of us can't really be trusted, as nice as we like to think we are. We need each other to hold ourselves accountable. We need each other to expect the best of ourselves. We need each other to hold ourselves up when life is really hard. And we need each other to celebrate when we've actually lived out our potential in a very good way. That kind of life shared together is what a church community is all about. It's not about checking boxes. It's not about making sure we share the sacrament and stop there. That's not enough. It's about actually living our lives together and forming one another every day, every year, all the way through our lives. This hits the road very firmly when our world is most scary. My guess is this last week, if you're like me, you've been reading every day about what's going on over in Israel and the way in which that conflict is growing and ballooning, and it is scary. I do want you to know that I have been over there many times. I have friends who live there. I've been in touch with all of them. They are safe, but they are telling me on the ground that the uncertainty is so high. For most of them, the highest it's been in their lifetime. What we see happening over there is very difficult to understand when all we get, or at least the most of what we get, 
is media that is attempting to portray this situation as black and white, as right or wrong, as somehow very cut and dry and simple because, if we don't know it by now, the conflict in that area of the world is anything but simple. It is so complicated, it is so complex, and the truth is most of the people hurt are innocent. Part of what we, as Christian people, are called to do is not turn our backs when the world is scary, even though it would feel better to just try to ignore it, but instead to try to work toward something good. Now, most of us, maybe all of us, are not going to go resolve the Mideast conflict. However, we can do something now. We can do something here. We can do something for each other, even if that's comforting each other in our own fear of what the world throws at us. Part of what we do as a community is we just live with each other through the good times and especially through the bad times. What Jesus is telling us today, once again, is that we're called to prepare. And that kind of preparation means we lean in even when the world is scary. We resist objectifying other people. We understand fully that every single person, the ones who make the good choices and the ones who make the bad choices, have been created by a God who loves them. There is no exception. That is hard, especially when the world looks so bad. Today we are being invited in again to lean into this community, to lean into our discipleship, to lean into the people God called us to be, made us to be, and as I said, on our best day, the people we want to be. Because God is not done with us. We are not done in our own discipleship formation. We have gifts to share with the world, and our world needs St. Michael now as much as it has ever needed. And St. Michael needs you, needs you to invest your time and your talent and your treasure, needs you to prioritize your own discipleship, needs each one of you to lean in because we can do so much more when we act together. Let us pray. God, I give you thanks for these people, for all of us who are gathered here today as your disciples, as we look out on a world that can often be far scarier than we wish, we ask your presence with all those who are hurt, those who are scared, those who have lost hope. May our prayers join together to lift one another up and to extend your hands and feet of love to everyone we meet. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.